Welcome to the Investor Lab. My name is Goose McGrath. My name is Gabby Billing. As you would know by that introduction, you are listening to the Investor Lab, the auditory epicenter for passionate people looking to create a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. Gabby, how are you today? I feel like a passionate person today. Fantastic. I'm absolutely... Are you feeling passionate today, Goose? I'm pumped. I'm pumped. <laughs> Do you know why I'm pumped? I'm pumped for a couple of reasons, but you want to know why I'm pumped? Um, coffee. Yeah, yeah, well, yes, yes. How did you know? Yeah, basically. Short, short, answer, short answer is yes. I ordered like $200 worth of coffee beans on the internet. They were supposed to arrive yesterday, but they didn't arrive yesterday, which means they're definitely arriving today and I'm so... I'm so excited. I'm so excited because, and I actually just um, uh, posted in our Facebook group today asking people about their health and wellness. Like how much does health and wellness feature in people's daily schedules, all right? Because, you know, real estate is just a vehicle for wealth creation, but what do we really want? What do we really want is we want to live a full, rich, happy, free life. And quite frankly, I don't drink or do anything else naughty anymore. But I am very Epicurean in my pursuits. You are. I, I love it. I love, you love a good single origin, don't I, you? Oh, everyone loves a single O, cheeky little single O. So I'm really pumped about these, um, these coffee beans that are arriving today. There's, I kind of got a little, I went a little bit nuts, which happens, you know, when you get passionate about your pursuits, you, get, you go deep. I think I ordered a Brazilian and a Papua New Guinea and a few different blends. I ordered a sample pack. We're just going to have a coffee digger station. Yeah, we're going to have a coffee digger I'm station. I'm excited. Yeah, I got to say, doing this podcast weekly, Wednesdays have actually become my favorite day. So for a lot of people, like Wednesdays are, you know, hump day. You know, and it's this, oh my God, I'm, a, I'm halfway through. Wednesdays have actually become my favorite day. And the reason for that is because of the way we start the day. Gabby and I will get up and we work through our goals and, and then we go for a run. Not a very long run. Don't get stressed out at the thought of running. If you're listening to this thinking, what, you get up and run? The function of it is just get the heart rate up and then we go for a swim, watch the sunrise and go get a bulletproof coffee and then, and then come here and do this. And I gotta say, like the way that you set yourself up is, is so important, so important. I mean, I know that I sound energetic because I feel energetic because I am energetic and that's because of the way we've set this up. But anyway, enough about our morning. I wanna talk about a lesson that I learned and it's been bugging me, it's been on my mind. Oh, really? Yeah, so I'm kind of ashamed to admit this because I'm really passionate about caring for people. But yesterday... I made a mistake. Yesterday, I acted in haste and I actually called someone on the phone and started berating them over the phone in a very unprofessional manner. And it was the wrong person. I shouldn't have done it anyway, even if it was the right person. And it was the wrong person. And that's potentially damaged a relationship. And, you know, I am such an empathetic person it's god i could barely sleep last night to be honest i really shaken you it's really rocked me you should have seen me all yesterday afternoon i was i was a broken man i was like i cannot believe that i have acted without integrity and it was a really amazing reminder and this is why i want to talk about it today it's an amazing reminder that you should always make sure you are conducting yourself 
in a way that is in alignment with what you want to achieve. You know, follow a process. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have called someone in haste. I should have called someone when I was frustrated regardless and I should have slowed down and followed a bit better of a process. That's kind of why we want to talk about what we want to talk about today. What's today's topic that we're going to talk about? We're going to talk about the eight steps to start, boost or bolster any property portfolio. Exactly, because if I had followed, if I had stopped, leant back and thought, what is the best way to approach this situation rather than acting in haste, I would have actually done things completely differently. And this is why, you know, it is important in everything you do is to just take a moment, stop, consider, am I acting in a way that is going to move me towards my destination in the right sequence, the right order, and with the right levels of, you know, determinate success? Yeah, I think particularly with that is if you've got a plan and you've got a process that you follow, everyone is human. So everyone has bad days. Everyone has moments where they act out of line. But if you don't have a process that you're meant to be following, you've got nothing to check that against. So it was like you yesterday, you're a bit tired. So you may have gone off the path that you normally would have taken, but you immediately, because you knew that you know, we have a normal process for these things. You're like, right, I could have handled that a bit differently. But if you don't have that process in place, then you're just kind of flailing in the wind. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. You're, you're adrift in a sea of ambiguity. So this is what we're going to talk about today. The eight steps to start, boost or bolster any property portfolio. We're going to try and hit on the key points. We have actually done live events where we explored these points over the course of about five hours. Okay, we don't have five hours. We actually wrote a guide on this that we released back in May. This is one of the very first free reports, free guides that we kind of put out there. And the reason we wanted to put it out there is we wanted to just break it down into a very clear, simple process that you can follow over and over and over and over and over again with a degree of certainty that you're going to achieve the right outcome and to, get, to arm people with that information. So if you're listening to this and you do have an interest in real estate and you do want to understand eight really simple steps to be able to help you. It doesn't matter whether you're investing for the first time or the fourth time or the 50th time. Get a pen, get some paper and take some notes because if you can break this down in your mind, it's going to give you a framework so you know how to act and how to think about where you are in the process. Well, let's start with number one. Number one is knowing your position. We love this step. We love honesty. We love transparency. We love being real and not being stuck in the clouds (laughs) (laughs) understanding where you are now understanding what your starting point is because there's no point building out your these visions and these plans and these goals that you want to achieve if you've got no idea what point a is got no idea what your financial capacity is you don't know what your borrowing capacity is you don't know you know what what kind of targets you need to hit you don't know anything you're just guessing that's the foundation of the foundations, right? That's the key starting point, getting real, getting honest with the information that you have at hand. Absolutely. And it, it, it's super important to just ditch your ego. Step one, we should probably almost just call it kill your ego <laughs> because everyone has a starting point. There is no value in comparing yourself to where somebody else is on their journey. There is zero value in that. You need to own your own position. It is critical that you're honest with yourself 
and say, who am I, where am I, and where do I want to go? You might be on a low income, you may have low savings, that's fine. Own it. The moment that you can create that level of true honesty with yourself is the very first moment that you'll be able to see clearly where you need to go. Once you've got an understanding of your position, an understanding of your finances, and you can start to really conceptualize that, that's the fundamental first step, right? So once you've kind of got that together, go and speak to a broker, go and speak to a financial planner, get some clarity on what your capacity is because a lot of people don't have clarity on their finances. A lot of people think they need more than they do or think they need less than they do. Go and speak to a professional and say, hey, this is what I'm trying to do. How far away am I? Because you might actually already be there, but you haven't gained clarity. Or maybe you think you're there and you're not. All right, so point number two is do a deep dive. Right, so we know where we are right now. We've gotten real. We're owning who we are, what we are, what we've got. Nice. Next step, deep dive into what you want, setting your goals, building a plan, getting laser focused on what you want to achieve, who you want to become, where you want to go, but getting really deep and understanding why. I mean, we touched on this a bit about people saying that they want financial freedom, but why and what does that mean? Why do you want what you want? Because if you don't know why, you're not likely to actually hit it. If you just set these arbitrary goals of I want X value portfolio, but you don't really understand why, you can't build a plan to get towards that. I think a big part of diving deep into your goal setting and figuring out where you want to go is really understanding your own appetite. I think a lot of people want to build these massive portfolios or want like massive levels of passive income, but they don't actually have the appetite for that level of growth or that level of investment or that level of it's not risk but well there's always risk right yeah, it's there's always risk. risk there's risk in everything there's risk in crossing the road yeah but you get you get diversity across people between some people are really risk averse and but then their goals say that they want two million passive next year and it's, it doesn't quite align. So again, that comes back to that first point of knowing who you are and... Understanding where you're starting. Knowing, knowing where you're starting. But then you apply, okay, well, how aggressive can I be? What do I feel comfortable doing? How uncomfortable am I willing to be to reach those goals that I want? That is a great point. How uncomfortable am I willing to be to achieve the things that I want? That is so good. Here's the thing. If you can't see it in your mind's eye, and no, I'm not getting all woo-woo. If you can't sit there and imagine and position yourself mentally, daydream for a moment. Go on, just stare out the window for a minute, daydream. If you can't emotionally position yourself in that future state, you're fucked. Right, <laughs> mine, mine sound a little bit brash, <laughs> but let's put it this way. <laughs> Gabby wasn't expecting that. Just wondering what kind of podcast this is. <laughs> PG. PG. If you can't clearly see the target you're aiming for, you're never going to hit it. If you were to go to an archery range and you've got your bow and you've got your arrow and you're like, I just want to shoot an arrow. 
I'm going to hit something. And you just start randomly firing it. You're actually liable to hurt someone. And very unlikely that you're going to hit the target. This is why you need to actually get clear. What are you aiming for? And only once you know exactly what you're aiming for, once you have precision, laser-like focus, do you have any chance of hitting it? Now, position yourself back in that archery range and imagine that you actually do know what you're aiming for. What do you think the chances are that you are going to hit a bullseye in the first shot you ever take? Pretty low, right? Pretty low. Pretty low, exactly. And this is why you need to have a very clear vision so that you can see when you're deviating from that. If you take a shot and you miss and you go like two meters to the right, awesome, you can course correct. You can go, okay, well, what did I do? Where am I going? Okay, how do I course correct that? How do I reshift my focus to stay focused on where I'm going? If you don't know what that looks like and you don't know where, you, where you're trying to aim for, this is probably the number one reason I think that 90% of people get stuck at two properties. I'm big on this, you know, that most people get stuck at two properties and that's because A, they don't understand where they're going so they can't build out a strategic plan. So if you know where you want to get to, maybe that's five properties, maybe it's 10 properties, whatever it is for you, but you've got to build out a strategic plan to get there. Step one is knowing your position. You know, you're not going to become a multi-million dollar developer in 12 months if you've just got your first job and you're 16 years old. That's unrealistic. But if you know where you want to go, then you can build out a strategic plan to get there. And it's all about taking the necessary steps in the right order. We talk about this a lot um, with our clients. We call it the apex progression. We could probably do another um, podcast episode just on that to give people clarity on how to move through the three tiers of property wealth. But make sure that you're following a process. Don't be scared to dream big, but understand your appetite, as Gabby said, for discomfort. So now that you understand your starting points... Here's the number one problem. Well, no, I always say number one problem, right? Here's one of the biggest <laughs> problems that a lot of people make is they, they then start by going and looking for properties. They go, right, I think I'm ready now and I'm going to go start looking for property. That is a massive mistake. Do not start your property journey by looking for property. Sounds counterintuitive, right? Research, macros, this is big picture stuff, infrastructure, people, jobs. This is where we start to take a national view, right? So start looking at macroeconomics, This is the only way that you're going to be able to understand exactly where you need to be positioning yourself in the marketplace. Okay, so, you know, you need to think about what new government policies are coming into play. What is the government spending by state? You need to start looking, take a a 30,000-foot view, look at the Australian map. I actually do this. Look at the Australian map and I visualize, read, read all the news and I visualize where are the people moving? Where is the money moving and why? You know, and when you can start to think like that, then you can start to see the macroeconomic movements of wealth within the country and people in the country. That's going to give you a good indicator of where you're going to see supply and demand pressures later on. You need to be thinking, you know, on a national and then a state level. So, like, is there anything that's going to shift the dial of states' economic prospects? You know, you need to be looking at, you know, overall economic trends and how they apply in a big picture sense. And if you want to, like, a real quick hack on this, you can go to Google Alerts. I set Google Alert for stuff like infrastructure spending, jobs growth, population pressure, things like that. And you're going to get emails in your inbox. And what you'll be able to do by sifting through that information daily is you'll start to see and pick up trends about where different areas keep featuring regularly and why. It's a really great way to supercharge that process, that research process. Now that you've got a picture, okay, like what states are moving in what direction and why, what are the key drivers and why, what areas are going to be affected and why, then you start going a little deeper. 
Step four, research, micro. Okay, so this is where we start narrowing it down. We start looking at lifestyle, demographics, vacancy rates. We start looking at the local economy. Get a pen, get a paper. I'm going to tell you a bunch of stuff that you need to think about right here, right now. The things that you need to know in order to create a full picture. And if you can answer all of these questions, you should create clarity around your decision-making process. You ready? What infrastructure projects are going in, when, for how long, and how many jobs will they create? Because here's the thing. You might start looking at some maps. You might start getting some of the news. You can be like, oh, my God, there's a new road going into Majigonga West. Yeah, that's great. But a road does not beget a powerful economy. What you need to look at is what are the infrastructure projects? What actual money is going to be retained in the local economy? Why? How many jobs is it going to create for how long? Because I've seen projects that are $7 billion projects that are going to create 3,000 or 4,000 jobs, but only for three years, and then that's it. And then it winds back to 200 jobs. But that becomes a false inflated economy. We see that a lot in mining towns, things like that. So don't just look for what is the immediate stimulus, but look for the long term. What's going to stay there? You know, Is there going to be a long-term economic impact from the infrastructure and the industrial projects that are going on? Then think, where are people living and why? What pockets? You know, what's the relationship between those areas and things like transport and things like, you know, the point of greatest utility, which is typically the largest economic center nearest to where people are living. Why are they living there? What is driving people to move to those areas? Is it affordability? Is it proximity? Why is there a pressure in a certain area? What is the local housing supply and demand? Because I've seen a lot of areas where there's a lot of demand and even more supply. And that is terrifying. You know, I see a lot of people that, um, you know, have, have been purporting to be investment specialists or whatever. I mean, they are, they're, they're, I'm not trying to deride them in any way, but they're helping people to invest in areas where there is a lot of demand, popular demand. But in the next two or three years, there's going to be 20,000 land lots released. I'm sorry, but that's going to stagnate growth over the long term. You need to be looking where there's only infill development available. You don't want anywhere where there's going to be an estate development, which is kind of why we don't ever really look at uh, new builds in estates. The demand metrics are too fragile. You need to look where there's actual actual demand of very limited supply. Also, what are the rental vacancy rates? So typically, you're looking for anything less than 3%. The lower, the better. But here's the other kicker. Don't just look at the number. Look at the trend. It needs to be trending downwards, not trending upwards. Well, I mean, look, there's a bit of variance in that. If it's 1% vacancy rate and it's trending upwards just slightly, hey, it's all good. But if it's 2.5% vacancy rate and it's trending upwards towards three, I'd be really considering that that's probably not a great place to be. Typically for our clients, we're actually looking for less than 2%, but I would say as a general marker, 3% is good, a good guide. Is the local economy expanding or contracting? Jump on the council websites. Every council has an investment section on their website. Invest in Ipswich, invest in Bendigo. And that's an amazing source of information about what's actually happening in the, in the economy and when. Because they can't lie because it's all, it's all public record and public access. So it's really just generally a, a factual representation of what's happening. And they're all multi-years and decades ahead. A super powerful way to really get a, a picture on that. What are the demographics of the people living there? Lower, middle or upper socioeconomic and why? You know, like, and what's changing? Because what we actually see in a lot of the places that we're investing for our clients is we're seeing a shift from lower to uh, upper middle. So what that actually means is that it's um, typically changing from areas which might have traditionally had a high 
rate of public housing and that's being it's being gentrified typically by young professionals moving into the area typically because of affordability and proximity to train stations proximity to jobs and that's what changes an area most that's what gives you the most economic uplift in the shortest period of time is the human interlace and so that's why you really need to think about what are the demographics of the people living there you know are they single people only looking for boarding houses you know are they families looking for three-bedroom homes are they young couples looking for two-bedroom apartments you know like what is it and you need to understand that is it well connected to transport links we kind of touched on this what is the future land release or supply risk so that kind of goes in line with the local housing supply and demand what percentage of the suburb or street is public housing hot tip look for less than 15 percent in any street suburb levels is a little bit different and you need to think about where you're positioning yourself in that local market and isn't it is it expanding or contracting public housing is a really good indicator sometimes you can find areas which have got high public housing percentages but they're contracting quite rapidly and that's because of a local government gentrification plan it's a good opportunity to get in there then but you need to think on a street that you're in typically 15 less than 15 percent is a good marker i mean the lower the better we've invested in areas where there's been zero percent awesome what you're trying to understand there is what is the owner occupier appeal for lack of a better term or even for tenant appeal you know is it a community that people are going to want to live in the current tenants you want in your house all that kind of stuff it's a business you're providing a solution to a marketplace and if you don't have the right market fit product market match then you're gonna have issues i just want to touch on i think that's a really good point about just understanding the like the demographic of where you're investing Obviously, it's a completely different brief if you're looking for your own home, but we typically work with investors um, looking to buy investment properties. They see the percentage of public housing or they see the stats about the demographic in that area. And a lot of people get kind of deterred from that area because they're putting themselves in that street and then in that house and imagining themselves living there and basing their decision on that emotional feeling of what it would be like for them to live there. There's a huge portion of the population that need that level of housing. Not everyone can afford five, six, seven hundred, eight hundred thousand to a million plus. Not everyone can afford to even rent in those type of places. There's a massive market for Australians to be renting at, you know, the, the 250, 300, 350 price point that you know, on paper, people might look at and think, well, I can't see myself living in those kind of areas. Why would anybody else want to live there? I'm not going to invest there because they're making that emotional decision. Totally. And it's a really interesting thing because most people have been on that journey. Let's say they're in their mid-30s or in their 40s and they're like, I, there's no way I would live there. Typically, where you're going to see the best rental returns are in that 250 to $400 a week price point. The thing is, at some point, you were probably there too. When you moved out of home, you were probably renting. Maybe you stayed in a place that you could afford, not the place that you wanted to live when you grew a bit further up. Same thing. Don't judge where you are now and apply that to the kind of assets you want to buy or do, but be prepared to uh, allow that emotional decision to override the economic returns. It's that simple. You can either be emotional and get less money, and that's fine, or you could be non-emotional and serve the needs of the marketplace better and make more money in the, in the process. Well, the next one we've got about is property research, which the note we've got is about our holy trinity strategy, which I, I feel like could be a whole other episode in itself. Oh, 100% it could be a whole other episode in itself. Which is it's basically the fundamentals of how we purchase any property. 
They're the three key criteria that we follow. It's the only three things you ever need to know, really, if you're going to buy a property. It's really, 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 really simple. Is it in a high growth area? Okay, if you've answered all the previous questions. Future growth, not historical. Yeah, exactly. Future growth, not historical growth. You are not the person that you were five years ago, neither is the local market. You need to be thinking about what is the future potential, which if you've answered all the questions from the previous step, from step four, if you've answered all of those questions, you should know. A way to position yourself in this is a lot of people know that, for example, last year, Hobart grew really strongly. If you were to go invest in Hobart right now and looked back at the past you know, two years worth of growth, you'd be like, oh my God, this is the best place in the world to invest. Oh my God, it's had such strong growth. But the reality is that's at the top of the cycle now, so it's not the right time to invest. Vice versa, if you went there two years ago, right before the boom and looked at the previous two or three years of growth, you would have been like, oh my God, this is the worst place in the world to invest because it had been flat, like there'd been nothing going on. There was no growth. So it's only once you can answer those, those previous questions and really get a picture about what's happening moving forward, what does that look like moving forward, that you can position yourself in those kind of right markets to get capital growth. The other thing that you must have, this is a must have, not a maybe, it's an always. Strong capital growth, positive cash flow. Does the property produce more income per week than it costs per week after all expenses are tallied? We're not talking about returns on tax. When you're looking at positively geared properties as opposed to positive cash flow properties, positively geared properties are properties which, you know, after all checks and balances, so typically tax and depreciation, you'll come out ahead. But what that means is that week in and week out, you're likely still paying money out of your own pocket to support that asset. I believe that this is a flawed strategy, even if it is at the end of the tax year, positively geared. What you want is positive cash flow where it's going to pay you money week in, week out. This is the greatest way to de-risk your investment portfolio. I think the key part of that is we're using investment as a tool. It's a piece to make your life better and easier and less anxious. So if you've got something that's costing you something every week, every month, every year, it costs you money and you stress about it might be $5 a week. It might be $10 a week. It might be like the, the amount is arbitrary, but it's something that is giving you anxiety 100%, 100%. The third pillar in your wealth parthenon is adding value. You need to know that you can add value somewhere down the line. And this is one of the reasons that we don't uh, encourage people to buy new properties because you can't do anything to it. It is as good as it is right now until you've let it fall into disrepair. This doesn't mean that you buy old shitbox houses um, that are going to be a lot of stress. No, 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 no. What it means is you need to be considering how you can lever more value into it. And it could be a small cosmetic renovation that you do in a year, or it could be a subdivision project. There are many ways to do this, but you need to have that extra lever to know that you can add value at your own point of desire so that you can control the local economy in your own assets. So that means if things change, that means if uh, you know vacancy rates increase or the market changes, you still control your wealth creation story. Does that make sense? Definitely. So what we covered there, step five, was research on a property level. You need to understand, is it in a strong growth area? Like, Is there future capital growth prospects over the, over the short, medium, and long term? Is it positive cash flow? And can you add value? High growth area, positive cash flow, value add potential. There's only three things you ever need to know about real estate just gave away everything if you want to build a repeatable and stable portfolio they're the three keys exactly right and here's the thing a lot of people think it's not that easy well you're right it's not that easy it's not that easy if all you do 
is listen to your own preconceived notions of where and why you should invest. But I can tell you with 100% certainty, if you go back and follow these steps, one, two, three, four, five, we're up to six now. If you follow these steps, you will find the assets that you require. It's that simple. A lot of people just don't know how to find them. We're telling you how to do it. Start macro, then go micro, then go property. Listen to the questions that we just pointed out. Listen to how we told you to do it. If you follow that process, you're actually going to find them. You don't even need us and you don't need anyone else. We can certainly help you if you want, but the aim of the game is we want to empower you for your own success. It's not easy, but it's simple. It is. It is. All right, step six. Okay, so now that, now that you've done the accurate research, you've narrowed things down. You found a cracker unicorn. Yeah, you found yourself a unicorn. <laughs> now what? We buy some properties. Let's go buy some properties. This is where we start going down to what we call the big deal. The big deal. The big deal. This is where you come down to negotiation, due diligence. A deal is only ever as good as what you buy it for. If you overpay, it can affect your cash flow, it can affect your future growth potential, all of this kind of stuff. But let me tell you something about negotiation. It must be beneficial for everyone. Negotiations are not, certainly for my philosophy, it's not a time to go in there and bulldoze and go, everything must be my way or I'm out. Treat people with respect. There are two ways that you can negotiate, price or terms. And you can use either of those to get what you want whilst allowing the vendor to get what they want. Because a good negotiation is one where both people are happy. Use all the information that you've gathered. Understand what the limitation that you can purchase is. You know, you've got to be able to carry yourself with pride through the rest of your life as well. And I believe that the more that we can respect other people, the better we're all going to be. Yeah. And I think going into a negotiation, it's being really clear on the results that you're seeing that you will get out of that deal and knowing what your baseline is basically. So you can go in there and know like this is my fail safe. This is where I'm going to stop. Anything above that, I'm just going to work with the other side to find a solution that suits me and suits them. Once I go past this point, like that's like it doesn't financially make sense anymore. So I'm out. Don't try and railroad anyone. Don't try being disingenuous. Understand, as Gabby said, what your stop block is. I cannot go higher than... 320,000 or it doesn't make sense. Again, that's financially, not emotionally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it needs to be like, does it make sense? Is this going to serve the outcomes that I need? So I don't mean like, oh, just what do I think that they'll take? No, it's just understand your own position and just be confident in it. If you want to get that property for five, six, seven, eight, nine, or 10% under market value because that's what you need in your portfolio, if that's the thing, awesome. Understand that, okay? Go into the negotiation knowing that. And then if you know that, Here's the two-step trick to getting pretty much negotiation success. We get a very high success of negotiation. Understand that and then go in $5,000 less. Ask them to take that offer to the vendor. And then typically they'll come back and say, oh, we need to go higher. And then just be honest. A lot of people talk about negotiation tactics and there's all this back and forth in psychology. You just be honest and say to whoever you're negotiating with, look, I understand. I appreciate your position. I know that you probably want more. I'd really love to buy this. But it only makes sense for me if I move no higher than this number. If we can make that work, I'd be happy to move on this property now. So if you would like to get this sold, I can do it at that and let's make a move. That creates certainty in the deal. It creates an unbelievable amount of confidence and certainty and it stops pissing people off. You're leveling yourselves out. You're on the same level as a sales agent then. He then respects you a bit more and goes, oh, okay, well, I'll try a bit harder to find this equal ground where you know where everyone's happy thanks for being honest and 
yep. you know, I really respect that we can talk to each other as people and not as this fighting force that yeah. tends to happen. Step six is also where you do your due diligence. So building and pest inspections, town planners, you need to make sure that the asset you're buying is going to do exactly what you want it to do. This is the last step. This is where you make sure you get the price you want and it's going to do exactly what you want. Make sure you've got rental appraisals, maybe from a couple of different um, property managers. Don't get rental appraisals from the selling agent. <laughs> yeah, do not. Not because they're liars, but it's their, their best interest is in selling the property. Totally. You don't want to purchase a property with a rental appraisal that says it's 360 a week and then you actually get your property manager in there and it comes back at 320 Particularly if you're, if part of your strategy is, you know, you want good cash flow out of it and then suddenly you've $40 less a week, that's a significant reduction. So it's just in that due diligence phase, doing as much as you can to just confirm and again, get that certainty and clarity that you're going to get the result that you need. All right. Step seven, acquisition and settlement. This is a lot easier. Okay. So this is where you utilize your team of experts, get the keys, unlock the value in the asset. So once you've agreed and the offer's accepted, just utilize your team of experts, namely legal and finance. These professionals are going to help you take the process over from offer to contract to exchange. If you've got a buyer's agent, that's where we come in as well. Obviously, we'll have done all the rest of it as well. But lean into your professionals at this point. Get a final inspection of the property completed for settlement, all of that kind of stuff. Get the keys and then start to unlock the value in the asset, whatever that may be. It might be by doing a renovation. It might be just by getting tenants in there. But unlock the value and then you are ready for... Step eight. In that phase, acquisition and settlement phase, that's like typically what, 30 to 60 days. That's typically the piece that most people get the most stressed about because that's when you're doing all the paperwork. That's when you get people saying, oh, you need to sign this while you're at work and you've got to go and find the printer and you've got to scan the things and the scanner doesn't work and people are calling you. That's the stressful point. But you've got to remember that is a 30 to 60 day window it's just part of the process. And hopefully you've got a team around you who make it as easy as possible and are as communicative as possible with you, particularly about finance. You want someone who's, you know, constantly saying, okay, we're at this point, you know, it's looking like we're going to get finance approval in time or like it's, no, well, it's looking like it's behind, we might need an extension or, you know, you just want that team around you that you feel complete confidence in so that all you need to do is just get delivered a piece of paper, sign that, and just have confidence that they're checking everything. You don't want to be constantly second-guessing the people around you, particularly at that point. You just want to be able to go, cool, getting a property, happy with the deal, it's going to do what I want, I've got to sign the paper, and then we get someone in there. It's good to go. Great insights. What's number eight, Goose? Number eight, simple. Rinse, repeat, and succeed. Number eight is go again, because if you followed all of those steps up to this point, you're going to have created a wealth ecosystem that is simple, leverageable, and repeatable. You're going to be able to unlock that value and go again. It is that simple. If you want to understand how to build a scalable property portfolio, we literally just told you how to do it all from start to finish. Step number eight is really making sure you maintain momentum and making sure that you are pushing forward to the goals that you've set. Once you get to step eight, it's time to just go, okay, how's it performing? Is it doing everything that I wanted it to do? Fantastic. And then you go back to step one. This is a cycle. This is not a linear path, it's a circle. Because your position will have changed. Your financial position will have changed. Your emotional position will have changed. I mean, you just bought a property. You know, things are gonna be different. Go back to step one and start again. So go back, understand your position, know your starting point, own it. Then go again to step two, 
understand your appetite and your goals? Have they changed? Have you had a child in the meantime? You know, has anything changed? Make sure you're still aligned with your strategic outcomes. Go start again and do your research again, macro. Then go again and do your research, micro. Then again, make sure that you've got I holy trinity property. Then again, go through the selection phase and the acquisition. If you follow this, it's a simple, repeatable cycle of wealth creation. You're going to be able to follow over and over and over again. And if you do want the guide, we're going to drop this in the show notes. Nice. Yeah, I just want to say with with this, so we're not financial planners, right? We're not financial advisors. We don't consider this financial advice at all. We consider ourselves communicators. (laughs) Our passion is about consolidating things that people might seem intimidated about and packaging them up in a way that takes a lot of that intimidation away and makes a bit more sense and and helps people who may have you know been a bit scared about the lingo and a bit scared about the process and a bit scared about the risk and you know all the media and it's about packaging things up in a way that people can understand it and they can see oh it's actually not that complicated if I just follow a process so this is this is from our experience this is what we do with our clients this is historically what works. It, it can come out in other ways a lot more complicated, but this is this is quite fundamentals. Fundamental, yeah. A lot of people think that we're in the real estate game. I don't think that we're in the real estate game. I see myself and Gabby and others being in the empowerment game. Our job here is not to bang on about property. Our, our job here is to empower people to make clear and accurate decisions about how to move the needle in their life to achieve the things that they want. So a couple of things I wanted to touch on before we wrap it up. So I did a little bit of planning yesterday around some future episodes. and I'm really excited to, to share some of this kind of stuff. We're going to have a really interesting tapestry of things coming up in future, future uh, episodes, including how to think like the most successful investor in history, unlocking the hidden riches in real estate and making tax fun. We're going to have some guests on for that. We're going to be talking about, so this is going to be an amazing episode coming up. I think we might even record this next week, which is going to cover the universal laws that govern success and fulfillment. Mm. We're going to be exploring sacred geometry and all kinds of amazing, amazing stuff. I'm super excited. That's probably going to be split into two episodes. I, I can't imagine we're going to get that. Feel done. like we're getting a guest for that one. We are getting a guest for mm-hmm. that one, uh, and he's awesome and he's a good friend. So there's some amazing stuff coming up in future episodes. We're really excited to keep growing and sharing and and you know being on this journey with you guys. So to that degree, Gabby, do you have anything you want to add? I just really want to figure out a way that we can you know get you guys to to let us know what you want to hear. Do you want to hear more about our woo-woo <laughs> morning routines or do you want to hear more about market research or you know building a team in real estate or you know other investment ideas or... Business, philosophy, business, life, anything. You want to talk about marketing? We can talk about marketing. Love it. Love it. Maybe they can email us. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. If there's anything specifically that you want to hear about, um, we can bang on all day about a lot of stuff. So if you've got any ideas, anything that you need more help on that you feel like you'd want to hear real people talk about, just shoot us an email through to hello at dash dot dot com dot au and I'll yeah, I'll read that and I'll get back to you. Awesome. As well, if you've got a story that you want to share, if you're an entrepreneur or an investor or you know, if you want to share your philosophies on life, growth, abundance, wealth. Any of those kind of things, get in touch because we'd love to hear from you. We want to share stories of other people on this journey as well, which is why we're looking to get some guests on over the coming weeks. I would just like to share, I know some some questions that we, we want to ask each week is like what books are you reading and what biggest wins and all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. 
I'm still reading the same book as last I'm week. I'm still reading the same so book. So <laughs> what I want to share is the biggest lesson that I learned or I've been focusing on in the last week. Nice. Would you like to do that? I'd love to. Slow down to speed up and focus on the fundamentals. Hmm. What do you mean? I have a tendency to try and do too much, too quick, too fast all the time. And the reality is that if I want to achieve more, and this is a lesson I've learned, if I want to achieve more, I need to slow down. And if I slow down and focus on the fundamentals and get clarity on the things that matter, it will move me faster to where I want to go. To slow down, to speed up and focus on the fundamentals. You can apply that in any part of your life. Okay, so we're going to wrap it up now. And as per usual, if you'd like to experience more of us and more and join more of our community and all of that kind of stuff you can join us on facebook in our online community there at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the investor lab um, that is an online community of people seeking success in life and real estate and i'd like to finish up with a quote as per usual would you like to hear that gabby i'd love to so this is by indira gandhi and i think it's very apt for everything we've been talking about today have a bias toward action. Let's see something happen now. You can break that big plan into small steps and take the first step right away. Thanks for your time, guys. See you next week. Thanks, guys.